Okay, let's go ahead and open our Bibles this morning to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. Ephesians, chapter 5. We've been, for the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at foundations for the family. And uh, last week and this week, we'll be talking again about marriage and uh, the, what God's plan is for, for marriage and how we should respond to that. So I invite you to, again, look at Ephesians, chapter 5. We'll just read the last couple of verses. I invite you, if you're able to, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians 5, we'll read, just read, read the last few verses here, starting in verse, uh, let's re- start reading in verse 31. It says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. As we look at this passage, again, we're kind of reminded of, of marriage. And, uh, you know, marriage changes everything. When you get married, and uh, most folks in this room have had that experience, it changes everything in your life, doesn't it? Two people from different families, different backgrounds, different talents, different experiences, they come together to form a new identity. The me becomes we. It goes from being me And my plan is now to becoming we together. Yet as marriage grows, differences begin to appear. You know, a marriage relationship can really be put into two categories that I like to call bliss and blisters. (laughs) Maybe you've had that experience. Your marriage is bliss. Maybe it's still that way, you know. And you have blisters. All right, that comes with it. But I think you know, we take a look at marriage, and uh, again, we talked about last week a little bit about who you marry, uh, and that is very important. The Bible clearly teaches about, uh, about especially in the Christian marriage, what that should look like. Uh, but also, this is equal and important question is why? Why do you want to get married? Uh, that's a very important thing as we look at this. But I think this, uh, perhaps you've heard the song, the famous song by the Beatles, All You Need Is Love, right? Don't no, no, start singing that, all right? Okay, but anyways, you know what? All you need is love. I believe that's really a lie when you think about it. Because why? Because a lot of times, many people equate love simply with a feeling. You feel in, in love, you know, when, when a man and woman, they look at each other and stare in each other's eyes. I remember when I was in Bible college, uh, there was a couple, and, uh, and no, still in contact with them and all that, good, good couple. But anyways, when they were dating... They would sit in the, in the dining commons. That's where a lot of couples like to gather. And they were just like glued to each other's faces and just like just looking at each other's eyes. Like, you know, you could put a piece of paper between them and they wouldn't even notice. I mean, maybe you were like that, right? All right. But anyways, as you think about that, it's like nothing could separate. But I think really is this. Many equate love with simply a feeling. But be honest with you, feelings come and go. Someone says, oh, I fell in love. I fell in love with that. But, you know, the danger of that, I want to be careful, is that when we say that, remember, falling is really the idea of being out of control. You're being out of control and all. Because the thing is, if you fall in love, guess what? You give yourself an opportunity to fall out of love, and then what? And so a lot of times, what I think is this, so many people, they're really in love with love. They're in love really more with a feeling. It just happens to be with a certain individuals in the, in the quotation or in, in the relationship. But it really, it's a focus. I'm really in love with love. I just love this feeling. I just want to go on and on and on. And like the Beatles said, all you need is love, right? That's what controls everything. That's what makes the world go around. 
And love is truly important. You know, having feelings for, for your, your spouse is, is important. They should be guided, I think, though, by truth. And we're going to talk through about what this is. But here's the important thing. Many marriage counselors have noted that in most marriages, the bliss or euphoria of a relationship tends to fade around 18 months or so. Around that year and a half to two-year mark, that's when the bliss, that honeymoon feel, where your spouse can do no wrong. You know, they're that, that angel that you've always dreamed about, or he's that knight in shining armor that you've always dreamed about. So as you think about this, after that bliss starts to wear away, and now that you've been living together for a while, you, you tend to notice differences in your spouse. Uh, they have idiosyncrasies and differences. You know, for example, uh, you know, your knight in shining armor, like I said, all of a sudden, you know, there's, he's, his armor's starting to rust a little bit, and his horse is doing things in the front yard it shouldn't be doing, right? And then you find out, uh, you know, your, your, your mate, all of a sudden, they end up snoring really loud. Where did that come from? Their feet start stinking. Things that you don't notice when you're in that feeling of euphoria and bliss, okay? And that's when the blisters start coming, right? How do you deal with the blisters? We're going to be talking about that. But... Again, let's look at a few perspectives of marriage or perspectives in marriage. They have one for another. This is probably stating the obvious, but it's fair to say men and women are different. If you haven't figured that out, all right, we're going to learn through that. For example, this is, uh, let's use this quotation. When you're getting ready to go somewhere and uh, this, your, the spouse says, I don't have anything to wear. All right. How many have ever heard that? Maybe that's happened in your family. All right. I don't have anything to wear. Well, depending on who it is, it means different things. We understand that statement, but women, you understand that statement differently than the men do. All right. This is happens in our marriage even. All right. For the women, when the women say, I don't have anything to wear, what does that mean? I have nothing new to wear. <laughs> Therefore, let's go shopping. Right. How many women? You're on board with that, right? Okay, yeah. <laughs> All right. So that's what women, when they say that, that's kind of, generally, I mean, I'm, I know there's probably differences, but that generally, I don't have anything new to wear. But when a guy says, I don't have anything to wear, what does that mean? There's really nothing to wear. <laughs> it means that there is nothing clean to wear. I don't have anything clean to wear. It's not ready. It's in the laundry or you know, things like that. So again, we have different perspectives on the same topic or the same items. So how do you work through that? Again, when you're going through that honeymoon stage of your marriage, maybe you're still in that, and it's like, honey, I just love you no matter what. You don't have to, you know, you're, I'm, I'm just glad you're here. You know, you, you just kind of move on with that. Let me give you a personal story from our marriage, okay? Mandy, it's okay. You, I've told this story before, this sloppy Joe story. You know this one. All right, so Mandy and I, we, again, we've been married just 20 years. Uh, in two weeks, we'll be, we'll be uh, that's our anniversary. But as we um, think about that, early on in our marriage, we were married in Bristol, Tennessee, a mile south of the Bristol Motor Speedway, the fastest half mile in the country. All right, so if you're in a NASCAR, it's a big deal. All right, so that's where we were married, and not at the speedway, at a church, okay? But anyways, as we were... As we were, uh, shortly after we got married, Mandy was still um, a student at East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee. And uh, so between her classes, and she still worked a little part-time job and all that, and so I would, uh, I would actually be home doing most of the cooking. And I, if you know me, I love to cook. 
I love to try different things out and just I have fun with it. I try to do it. And those who've had my cooking, I hope you've enjoyed it. You're still alive. That's all good, right? So, but anyways, so one day Mandy had gotten home from her class and I was making some supper. And so I made some sloppy joes uh, with uh, green beans. Okay, that was the idea of our dinner. But I like to experiment with things. And so that, that day I served her that plate and she looked at it. She looked at me. She looked at that plate, looked at me. What is this? It was sloppy joes with green beans in the sloppy joes. I, just, I was just trying something different. That's all it was. I have not done that again, okay? <laughs> but, and she agreed to that. Do you want some sloppy joes with green beans? She said, sure. And, but anyways, what I meant by that and what she thought I meant by that were two different things. You know, that's a pretty easy example, but maybe in your marriage, in your relationships, maybe you face the same things. You said something, and it was clear as day in your mind what you meant by that, but your spouse interpreted that same statement something totally different. Again, this is where the blisters start coming up in the marriage. How do you walk through that? Again, in the beginning, like everything's good. You know, my wife still loves me. Did you eat it, by the way? I forget. She did eat it. She, bless her heart. So... (laughs) And she's still alive. All right. But again, we learn through wisdom of that. Okay. But as we go through it, as you enter into marriage, or even if you've been married many years, what's your expectation for marriage? And this is something that as you go into marriage, this is very important. What is your expectation? Again, um, a lot of people, when they go to marriage or, or they go to counseling, they kind of have already in their mind what they're expecting, what marriage should be. And even folks that have been married many years, you still have general expectations for, for yourself and for, for each other. Uh, there's several expectations that I go through when I do marriage counseling, but I, I want to just give three, three uh, questions that I want to do this. First of all, what exactly do you expect your spouse to be like? What do you expect your spouse to be like? What's your, your idea? Is it that damsel in distress, the idea? Or that knight in shining armor? You know, what do you, what do you want them to be? Do you want them to be a leader of the home? Do you want them to uh, to maybe work, you know, are you okay with that, is, is the idea. There's a couple of questions that involve in that, but what do you expect your spouse to be? Uh, and talk through those things. Believe it or not, some people have these like, grandiose ideas of that, and sometimes, I'll be honest with you, they're in fa- fairy tale land. And they don't really understand reality until, again, they hit that 18-month, 24-month part. And then all of a sudden, wait a minute, this isn't what I thought marriage was going to be like, Okay. The second question here, and this goes a little bit more in depth, how do you expect your spouse to serve you? How do you expect your spouse to serve you? Um, what I mean by this is that we have ex- expectations for our spouse. Man, I wish my, when I get home from work, I want my wife to make the food and it's ready on the table, ready to go as soon as I get in the door. There's some guys that that's what they prefer. That's what they like, okay? Uh, some some uh, women, okay? And this is not in, um, saying anything about our family, but nonetheless, <laughs> all right, sometimes it's like, okay, you got dirty laundry on the floor, it should be put in the hamper, right? Not just laying on the floor. I'm doing better, okay? <laughs> no, it's good, okay. But anyways, we have these expectations, but how do you want to serve them? If you've ever heard of uh, Gary Chapman's The Five Love Languages, I think that's a good book kind of helping understanding love languages. There's a couple there that uh, let's use words of affirmation like I expect my spouse to kind of praise me every once in a while say good job all right 
Um, and I think this is, especially for men, for myself even, hearing words of affirmation, man, you did good today, how, how is your day going, things like that, that speaks volumes to me, okay? And kind of when I, and kind of what we do when I expect my spouse, and I'm using our, my marriage as an example, I kind of praise her, you know, it's like, man, how was your day, you look lovely today and all that. You know what, when we do that, a lot of times we're kind of wanting that, what are you going to say to me, Right? We're kind of testing those waters. Again, these are expectations. Another thing is maybe acts of service, okay? For example, your, your love language is to do acts of service for your spouse. In other words, I'm going to clean the house, do the dishes, shovel the driveway, you know, just whatever needs to be done. I'll change the oil in the car, you know. You're thinking all these acts of service. And uh, what you're kind of wanting your spouse to do, first of all, recognize it, number one. That's, that's like easy. But you're kind of wanting them to do some acts of service for you, too. Uh, like, what are you going to do in this family? What are you going to do in these relationships? And sometimes we get on these, uh, kind of these, you're, it's kind of like going on a train. You've got two different tracks going the same way, but it's like just off a little bit. And so it's good to communicate for these things. Again, what I say is this. Most expectations we have for others, including our spouses, are really expectations we have for ourselves. All right, when I want my spouse to do this, or I'm expecting my spouse to do this, I'm kind of, that's kind of the way I see things in life. That's how things should be. This is how I want things done. And so it's important to communicate these things and look at these expectations. But I think a third expectation that needs to be addressed, and this is often overlooked, even by Christian families, is this. What does God expect you to do with your marriage? What is God's expectation for your marriage? So many times that is overlooked, again, even by Christian families. And even if you've been married a month or, you know, a thousand years, you know, what is God's expectation for your marriage? And kind of what we talked about last week is this, that your family is, according to God's plan, you are a gospel outpost. You are a reflection of the gospel in this world, okay? How you love one another is a clear uh, testimony of, of God's love for us. But the thing is, when we come to about marriage is this, God cares for your marriage. God cares so much for your marriage, okay? Henry Ward Beecher once said, every successful marriage is the result of two people working diligently and skillfully to cultivate their love. Again, it takes two, and you have to work at it. You have to work at it together. Your marriage matters, though. This is the important thing. God cares about your marriage. Your marriage matters to him. So let's talk about This is a little bit of review from last week. We're here in Ephesians. We're going to be here just very briefly, and we're going to go to James in a second. But what is the purpose of marriage? We talked about this. First of all, we understood uh, over the last couple of weeks, we looked at this, that marriage is God's idea. Again, when you hear someone putting down marriage, oh, that's the old ball and chain. It never works. You know, things like that. It didn't work for me. Things like that. Don't listen to that because that is not God's plan. All right? God's, God designed marriage at the beginning. Uh, from the creation account, we see that God instituted marriage. Uh, he instituted the family, okay? He instituted government and also the church, those three institutions. That is God's idea. And for us to think it's something less or something to be avoided, okay? I'm not saying everyone should get married, but marriage as an institution is God's idea, and it should be honored as such, okay? But there's three reasons for marriage. The purpose of marriage is this, and we talked about before, procreation, Okay, we talk about, uh, again, God's plan is for, for mankind to be fruitful and multiply. Okay, so procreation, in other words, have kids, but not just having kids. This is also what I call a focused love, 
a focused love, not just bringing children in this world, as, as important that is, that is, but it's also training the future, training the next generation in the ways of the Lord. This is so important. I think sometimes we think about that. When you go into a marriage, your plan should be, I want to raise our family, whether it's just my wife and I, or if we have a million kids, we are going to do this to honor the Lord and train them up to be difference makers in this world for the glory of God. This should be an intentional focus, a focused love. The second purpose of, of marriage is sanctification. You're setting apart, you, as it says here in verse 31, for this cause shall man leave his father, shall be joined unto his flesh, or unto his wife, and they two shall be one flesh. The idea that it's the cleaving together is to be stuck together like glue is the idea. But this is a holy love. You are set apart for a purpose in marriage. A husband and a wife are set apart, and this is why we call it holy matrimony. This is a holy love. This is something that nothing should defile it. Nothing should come in that would separate this. This is important. So the purpose of marriage is procreation, sanctification, and of course, illustration. Illustration, why? Because this is a great mystery, as it says in verse 32, concerning Christ and the church. The marriage is a picture of Christ's love for the church. As a husband loves and protects and nourishes and cherishes his wife, and as the wife submits or respects him, gives him reverence, even so, we are showing what God's plan is like for his love for the church. It's a beautiful picture of that. This is a sacrificial love. The love that we have, we talked about love as a feeling. There is a feeling element in love, the emotional aspect, but more importantly, love is ground out truth because what happens when you're in your marriage and we all have faced it at some point where those, those uh, feelings of euphoria and bliss that our spouse getting nothing wrong and all of a sudden problems happen in marriage and guess what? All of a sudden our dream marriage it's kind of going by the wayside. How do you then, if you fall into love, you're going to fall out of love. So what's going to ground you to move forward? It's understanding truth. And what true love is, is sacrificial love. As Christ gave himself for the church, even so men should love their wives, and then the wives give reverence their husband, respecting that. So here's the thing. I love this quote by Gary Thomas. We show our love for God in part by loving our spouses well. Men, if you love your spouse as well, and, we, and doing that again, that means to cherish, to, to protect them, to give them that security is the idea. And then we love our spouses by loving God. You love your spouse by loving God. And again, ladies, as we talked about last week, submission, again, this is the idea of respect. It's not a lesser value by any means, but it's understanding your role in it. Like we said, what submission was last week, it's learning how to duck so God can hit your husband, right? Okay, so we remember that. So, but it's the idea of giving reverence. It's the idea of, it's not bowing down at him, but simply to give respect and all that. Uh, for example, um, uh, if you've ever read uh, Love and Respect, Emerson Egerich, uh, who wrote this book, uh, they actually did kind of a, a survey uh, in that book talking about would men rather live alone by themselves, even away from family, or would they uh, would not be appreciated in their marriage? And most men says, I would rather live alone. Because men, we need that, basically, uh, respect. doesn't mean we're going to be lords and put everything in control. That's not the idea. But it's simply have that idea. So as a man cherishes, protects, nurtures his wife, gives security is the idea. That's what it means to love, okay? But also, from the other side, is to kind of give that respect as well in understanding where his role is. So it's talking about roles in marriage, really, is what it is. But the bottom line is this, that your marriage matters. I want to take the next few moments, though, and talk about kind of those blisters in marriage and how matters of marriage conflict. And so let's look at the book of James, chapter 4. James, chapter 4. 
James chapter 4, this is, of course, written to the church, but I think there's a lot of elements that we could apply to marriage in here. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, he writes, From whence comes wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war and have not. And ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your own lusts. We see in here the source of conflict. Why does conflict come up in relationships, marriage or otherwise, but why do conflicts come up? We see here at the beginning, why do wars and conflicts come up? You think of this as quarrels and fights is the idea. Whereas we think about, you know, maybe national wars that go on, even what's going on in Russia, Ukraine, for example, we think of that. But this is really talking about what's going on in relationships as well. Where does where do these fights and wars and quarrels and conflicts come from? And he answers this. They come from your lust, that war in your members. Okay? So the idea of lust here is really a desire for pleasure. It's the, it's the desires that really are unchecked, uh, that go after really the world system. So let me just say this, that lusts and desires here are the source of conflict. That's the source of conflict between quarrels and fights. In other words, these are unmet expectations. We talked about expectations in marriage earlier. And this is now talking when those, your expectations go unchecked, that can sow seeds of bitterness that can creep up and cause division in relationship. When you have unmet expectations that go unchecked, they can sow seeds of bitterness that can destroy a relationship. So this is something that's very important. I remember many years ago now dealing with um, a friend of ours. Uh, and uh, anyways, this person, uh, when they, before they got married, they had kind of a checklist of everything they wanted in, in their spouse. And they wanted to be a certain way, uh, even a certain belief, even a certain hairstyle. I mean, it was very detailed, OCD, to be honest with you. And uh, when that person got married, and finally, again, that bliss started going away, and happened rather quickly because she had just high expectations, okay? It caused severe problems in the marriage because she had unmet expectations, and it caused division. Like, my spouse isn't what I thought that he was going to be, is the idea, okay? And so bitterness started to creep in that and divided that, that relationship, Okay? But also understand this, that this internal conflict, this, this is an internal, com, internal conflict. As it says here, war in your members. is talking about your members of your body, your limbs, for example. It's a, it's a battle from within, okay? But here's the, here's the important thing to understand. And when I was studying over this, this week, this really just jumped off the page at me. That the quarrels and conflicts that we have, it takes two to have a conflict, Having a conflict within yourself is one thing, but in the relationship, it takes two to have a conflict. It take, quarrels require two parties. And the thing is this, what keeps this fight going on? And the answer is pride. It's my way. It has to be my way. There's no give. There's no take. And we try to, uh, try to just muscle through it, and we try to get our own way. This will obviously cause division when you keep going that way. So what is the key? What is the key to this? is because humility is the key. Humility is the key. When you're willing to put your weapons down, so to speak, you might have all kinds of arguments and reasons why it should be done in your way, but ultimately, it's humility that really solves the problem. So great improvement comes when you refuse to do war no more. 
when you simply back off, and it doesn't, it's, it's, here's the thing. Sometimes people in marriages, they want to try to win the argument. I want to be right no matter what, and they're willing to stop, have a temper tantrum, whatever it's going to take, because I'm right. You can be right, but you can do it in a wrong way. But the thing is this, when you, you may have won an argument, but you probably lost the fight. Because what happened? Because both parties lose. Both parties will lose in that. So what's the key? Strive for peace. How do you do that? Be humble is the idea. Humility is the key, like I said. Here's another thing. As we look here at verse 2, you lust and have not. You kill and desire to have. You cannot obtain. You can't get what you want. What happens when you can't get what you want in marriage, in your relationship? Here's the thing. When you can't get what you want, there's a temptation to manipulate your spouse. Be honest with you, this is, this is it's, it's home, every one of us. There's a temptation to manipulate your spouse. And this becomes self-seeking and ignores seeking after God. It says here at the very end, you ask not because, or you have not because he asked not. In other words, when we have conflict in marriage, it's easier to try to get our way, our point across, to be right, to prove it, okay? When we should really be doing what? Going to the Lord. Praying through that, asking God. So a lot of conflicts that happen is simply because we neglect to go to God who has the answer. Remember what we talked about earlier, that when we love our wives or we submit to our husbands, we're doing it unto the Lord is the idea. It's, it's really built on our relationship with God. Okay, so again, this fighting, this conflict, it really becomes self-seeking, ignores seeking after God. As we look at verse 3, ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your own lusts or your, your desires for pleasure. If a couple lives without a commitment to oneness, unity, then their wills will compete against each other. Again, when you're not working together for the sake of unity, and that's the goal of marriage, is unity, okay? When you are not committed to that, your wills, your desires, compete against one another. And peace will be substituted for disharmony until you learn how to live in oneness or in unity. This is important. Gary Inring, commentator, said this, that marriage is a costly way to discover your own selfishness. Marriage is a costly way to discover your own selfishness. In other words, we need to be humble in our marriage. And again, where do wars and com- fightings come about? It's really unmet expectations. That's where things begin to... And, and when we don't... Nip it at the bud, okay? Nip it in the bud, as Barney Fife, the great theologian, once said, right? So this is important. As we look at marriage and conflict is this. Are we really having realistic expectations in our relationship? So what is then, that's the source of conflict, but what's the solution to conflict? Look with me in James chapter 3, the chapter just before, the verses just before here. And we see here, beginning in verse 13, James writes, Who is a wise man endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation, or his way of life, his works with meekness of wisdom. And he goes on through here, and he talks about, If ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For for where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. So, the solution to conflict, first of all, you have to understand that there is, there is wisdom that we have. There's a difference, though, between man's wisdom and God's wisdom. The wisdom of man basically seeks after its own self. My self-interest is what I want to get done, what I want to accomplish. And I will be willing and able to walk over my spouse to get what I want, to manipulate whatever I can to do that. 
whereas we should be really focused on God's wisdom. What does God want us to do? So here's the thing. Those who live to gain attention to themselves lack God's wisdom. That's the important thing. If you're in your marriage right now and you're just wanting to get your point across just to be right or to manipulate your spouse to get what you want, if you're doing that in an unhealthy way, here's the thing. If you do a pattern of this, you're really trying to gain attention to yourself. And when you do that, you lack God's wisdom because that is not God's way. Okay? So what is wisdom like then? What is God's wisdom like? It says here in verse 17, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, not defiled, then peaceable, gentle, and easily to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that, uh, of that, that make peace. So as we think about it, we talk here, actually in verse 13 mentions this too, about weakness of wisdom, uh, or meek, meekness and wisdom. Okay, meekness is really strength under control. It's kind of the idea of that. In other words, it's full of love and a giving heart. It's consistent with the holiness of God. The thing is this, the wisdom or the, what you're trying to accomplish, wisdom is really expressed in action. It's having skills and ability to do what uh, needs to be done in life. And as you go into your marriage and as you express uh, love for one another and build that relationship, working together, it's, again, putting Christ first in all this and modeling it. In other words, your marriage relationship, even if your other spouse doesn't respond the way you were expecting, okay, your job is still to trust the Lord, be full of love, have a giving heart, and be consistent with the holiness of God is the idea. In other words, what does this look like? It's modeled after Jesus Christ. This is how Jesus lived his life. He lived his life, again, full of love, had a giving heart, and of course, he was consistent with the holiness of God. He was God. That is our model in, in all that. So as we think about this, verse 18, point it one out, out one more time. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace. Again, this requires work. Marriage can be tough work, can it? It really can. But guess what? It's so important that we sow seeds of peace. If you're sowing seeds of self-righteousness, your own way, your own ego, your own pride, what are you going to do? You're going to be sowing seeds of discord. That's man's wisdom. Man's wisdom will lead to death. It will lead to separation. It will lead, lead to discord. But those who sow in peace, sowing seeds of peace of them that make peace. Again, that's the fruit of the righteous. And the thing is, it might not happen immediately, Whatever conflict that may happen in your marriage or has happened in the past, it doesn't change usually overnight. It takes time to grow together. There's really, I think, one aspect to think of this. There's a how-to and a heart-to to marriage. Look at that how-to. How do you have a happy marriage? There's a lot of books, magazines, things that cover that subject, and they give, you know, 56 ways of how to have a happy marriage. But there's really a better question to have. Instead of having a how-to to marriage, is really having a heart-to in marriage. Do you have a heart to do this? If you don't have a heart to in marriage, the how-to won't be effective. If your heart in the right place is not there, it's hard to have an effective marriage. No matter you apply all the how-tos, all the tricks in the trade to do that. So my challenge is this, to strive to have a holy marriage, not just a happy marriage. When we strive to have a holy marriage, one that honors God, one that shows people the gospel. What, this is what the gospel looked like. This is how Christ loved the church. Therefore, I'm going to love my wife. I'm going to, I'm going to protect her. I'm going to cherish her. And I will reverence my husband to do it as unto the Lord. God is, is honored in that. And this is a holy marriage, not just a happy marriage. Okay? So what matters in marriage? Just have a couple points here to show you. 
First of all, the goal in this, and we talked about this last week, is unity. The goal in marriage is to be united, in, united together for a common cause. You're there as one flesh, okay? And so it's more than just the physical aspect as well. Cleaving is more than just the physical aspect. For example, here's some places that we should have unity in our marriage. First of all, in our worship, in our worship together. You should have a uni- unity in worship. You know, like I said last week, this is important, especially that Christians marry Christians, all right? Be not unequally yoked together. It's hard to, to have a, to showcase the gospel if the spouse, one of the spouses is not saved, okay? It's very difficult. In fact, it's impossible to do that effectively, okay? But our goal in our Christian marriages should be worship. Here's the thing. Your relationship with God must be the most essential focus of your marriage, your relationship with God. Spend time with one another in the Word. Pray with one another. Go to church with one another. Be together as a solid family. It, it breaks my heart to see families divided when spouses or families are separated in the house of God where we should come together in spirit and in truth to worship the Lord. This grieves my heart. It should grieve yours as well. Again, strong marriages make strong families and make strong churches. This is important as we make strong communities. So this is important, having a worship, united in worship. The second, or the second goal under unity is faithfulness or, or loyalty. Again, have healthy boundaries in your marriage. You should be loyal and faithful to your spouse, okay? Uh, one aspect of this is, of course, having those boundaries in your marriage. There's things that should only happen between man and wife. When we consider intimacy, and, not, and I'm not speaking just the physical aspect, that is important as well, but the thing is this, what is intimacy? I, and I like what one uh, person quoted this way. Intimacy is allowing someone into a part of your life that's not readily available to everyone. Let me read that one more time. Intimacy is allowing someone into a part of your life that's not readily available to everyone. Okay? In other words, there's... There are discussions that only you and your spouse should have. Not even the kids should be involved, all right? There's things that you do together that obviously no one else should be involved. I, be careful of this. Maybe you've heard this, maybe from a coworker or that, and says, well, I need to tell you something. I haven't even told my wife this, or I haven't even told my husband this. Time out. That opens the door to potential disunity and unfaithfulness. The thing, affairs do not start with the action, it starts in the heart. So this is so important. We have to have guards and boundaries for a healthy marriage that honors the Lord. And God will honor those who love him and obey him. This is, I'll be honest with you, we need strength, our families to be strengthened in this way. Another aspect of having a unity or a goal in marriage is have forgiveness. Forgiveness in marriage. Oh, there's times where I've had to ask my wife many times. My wife is always right, by the way, so it's me having to ask forgiveness, okay? I love her, all right? But when we ask forgiveness, it has the idea of being ready to forgive. What does Ephesians chapter 4 say? Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Not just to forgive, but why? Even as Christ's sake has forgiven you, all right? As Christ forgave us, we should forgive one another, especially our spouses, okay? Be ready to forgive But when we talk about the need for forgiveness, I like what Gary Chapman says this. Dr. Chapman says that marriages mess up each new day with yesterday. Marriages mess up each new day with yesterday. In other words, we bring yesterday problems into the situation today. 
you understand this, when we talk about dealing with conflict in marriage, sometimes that uh, there's a pesky problem. Maybe early on in your marriage, there's something that, maybe an unmet expectation that didn't quite go the way you wanted. Maybe the sloppy Joe issue, okay? But what if something like that just was like a, uh, let's say a stone in your shoe, a pebble in your shoe, right? And it just was there and over time, and then finally a couple years later, Guess what? That just builds up into a major conflict that should have been taken care of immediately. Here's the point. As Ephesians 4.26 says, do not let the sun go down upon your wrath. In other words, couples, don't go to bed angry. Get it settled to begin with because sometimes you can harbor, even if it's something that's significant or maybe your spouse, it wasn't a big deal. But guess what? If you allow that to fester and to be there, guess what? That can lead to problems years later. In fact, it'll turn to be bigger problems. It'll snowball, and it'll be out of control, and you'll be dealing with something even more important. So be ready to forgive. Because why? Christ forgave us. He was ready to forgive. So if you haven't said, well, where do I look at example? Look to Jesus Christ. Look to Jesus Christ. Another aspect in unity of marriage is honesty and integrity. Honesty and integrity. In other words, here's the point. Fight for the truth together. Fight for the truth together, okay? Don't listen to lies. Be honest with one another. Here's another thing is this. When we talk about integrity, secrecy is the enemy, is the enemy of intimacy. Secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. When you keep secrets from your spouse, you hide things from your spouse, that will create disunity and lack of trust. And this, this can hurt, definitely. But the thing is, how do you fight that? Is by together, as a goal, husband and wife, you said, we will fight for the truth together. This is the idea. And then the last area of unity is in service. And like what Joshua said as he challenged the, the people of Israel towards the end of his life, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In other words, when you serve the Lord together, serve each other, serve your family, serve your church, your community. In other words, when you do this, you are really setting a direction. You are setting a direction for your family to go. You're not just married to be married. You're married for a purpose, and the ultimate purpose for your marriage is to glorify God by showing the gospel. This is how Christ loved us. This is how we're going to love one another, and we're going to show that. Make your marriage an example of the gospel. You're a gospel outpost in this frontier of the world. So as we think about that, so tending to marriage matters is much like tending to a garden. Again, the me becomes we. You've got to do this together. You together must constantly be on guard. Get ready, as in the garden, pull weeds. Get those bugs out of there, right? Water it, prune it in order to enjoy the blessings of the harvest. Marriage requires hard work, but you will reap the benefits as you follow the Lord and honor God with your marriage. And guess what? When you do that, watch your love grow. Love will be more than just a feeling. It will be truth. As you do that, as you honor the Lord with that. So, again, my challenge is to, to you today. Your marriage matters. It really does to God. Let us have strong marriages, strong families, which make strong churches and make strong communities. How important we need this in this day. When you get through maybe some hard times, you're going through those blisters in your family. Turn to Jesus. Look at these verses here in James. And see this. Am I going by man's wisdom, or am I going by God's wisdom? Am I sowing seeds of righteousness to make peace? Blessed are the peacemakers, right? So thank God for this. So I challenge you today, let's honor the Lord with our marriages.